everyone and welcome to another Porch Thoughts with me, Michael V. And today it's about my life. Me, my life, and what happens and what happened and where it went and <laughs> pretty much the whole thing in a nutshell. Less than an hour here, 45 minutes or something. So I hope you enjoy it and please uh, like and comment and all that good stuff wherever you're listening. And uh, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. This was taken from uh, a live stream where I just was in the mood to tell stories. And that's what happened. And here it is. Uh. When I was a little child. When I was born. Um, the story I was told was that my mom was asleep and I was high and she was full of drugs and I was full of drugs and I didn't cry. I just came out high. And then I wouldn't eat food. So my dad had to Stay up with me for like two days or something, I guess, and try to feed me. And I guess he eventually got got me to eat. My dad did, not my mom. And that's how I started. <laughs> and that there, that story right there explains the rest of my life, basically. <laughs> Let's make some tea. So, just with that beginning story told to me, I don't know how many years later, because I don't remember that. Um, I think it had a lot to do with who I thought I was, I guess. But when I think about the, uh, the being high, it, it makes me feel like it makes sense, you know, because when I get high... It's comfortable. <laughs> it's very comfortable. Feels like I'm in a womb. Anyways. Um, ever since I was a little kid, I remember having a very vivid imagination. And it was, it was like everything was alive, you know. everything had a consciousness and I remember being connected to that and then somewhere down the line I think it was when I was four my parents got divorced so that was kind of like reality hit me and my imagination shut off but you know I used my imagination I think it became very concrete and I used it a lot because I used it to escape from the fact that my parents were divorced or divorcing and uh, so I used it, you know, I drew, I just hid under my bed and drew on the underside of my bed. I just would like get lost in doodles, you know. And then when I was like, five, I think four or five years old, I think it was like four, I want to say. My mom had a friend, she would go over her house and hang out with her. I think they smoked pot or something. 
and she would babysit a bunch of kids and then she had some kids and at this time it was like nap time or something i went over there and it was nap time or the other kids were doing i can't remember what was going on but like my mom i remember her sending me into one of the rooms to take a nap and i was like all right and i, I was like i'm a big kid i could just go take a nap i this is a memory i just it's like really vivid and i was four years old around there and uh I went into this bedroom. I'll never forget what it looked like. Like orange walls and thick curtains. And there was a bed on the floor and I laid on the bed and I stared up at the ceiling, which is one of those stucco ceilings, you know, just stared into the ceiling. And I had this like vision, this really vivid like waking dream when I was four, that I was looking at a canvas like a like a, a blank world like I was standing in a in a white clear world but then it was covered in these scribbles these three-dimensional scribbles that went on forever they just like whew, off into the distance these three-dimensional just black scribbles like this on white background there's no landscape no nothing it's like just white canvas right and these scribbles and then I remember like holding all of them in my hands and my hands got really big and I just felt like this weight of all these scribble marks on me, like just, ah, and, uh, I always, whenever I hear that, I hear that Pink Floyd song, my hands were like two balloons. I always think of that, this thing that happened to me. So, so then that happened and then it started to fade. And then all the scribbles became cleared away. And it was like just a clear, clean canvas. Just blank canvas. And then I came out of it or I fell asleep. And then when I woke up, there was a phrase. And this has happened to me my whole life. When I, right when I wake up or... Yeah, it's usually right when I wake up. I'll have like a phrase or a, something on my lips. I'll be like saying something that all my exes are like you talk in your sleep like crazy <laughs> so i don't know like maybe i should record myself i don't know sometimes i'll wake up talking it's really weird so anyways um that was on my lips this phrase anything you can imagine is real so after having this trip of when i was a child of like seeing these scribbles and then holding them all in my hands and then them all being gone and just the blank surface underneath for a long time i didn't really know what that meant but i think it's kind of like defines a lot about being artistic and stuff and then there was this phrase anything you can imagine is real and then fast forward like 38 years later i'm on the internet and i'm all ooh, look at this this guy picasso i never really knew anything about him let's look up artist quotes you know for some reason i looked up an artist quote and there it was picasso said it everything you can imagine is real <laughs> and i was like oh shit <laughs> what the hell does that mean <laughs> how come that was in my four-year-old mind like where did i hear that and Picasso who when where when I don't 
I just, it kind of like threw me for a loop and then it made me really look at everything that I've ever done in my whole life was based on that. Like everything I've ever done was based on the fact that I believe that anything you could ever imagine is real. And so like any fucking possible thing you can think up, there's a reality out there that reflects that. Like look at how many people there are on the planet and look at how many possible ways there are to live and exist, right? That's anything you can imagine is real. Every religion, everything, everything you can think in your head, even unicorns, like there's somewhere out there. <laughs> I mean, even if they exist on screen, they exist. You know what I mean? Like it's anything you can imagine is real, you know, and which tells me one thing. The imagination is real. It's, it's a reality. So that happened. And then I just lived my life. Uh, I grew up in the 80s. I went to Christian school, and they did not like me there. Because <laughs> I, when I was in... Uh, I remember a lot from when I was in kindergarten. I remember painting a giraffe. That was the very first thing I painted in kindergarten. And I remember really liking it. I, I really, But then I never painted again for like 15 years or something. In, in high school, I took a painting class. Like at this like painting store wasn't even at school it was like down the street there was a store for painting and you can go down there and like learn how to paint i took like one course and was like no i don't like it <laughs> so uh so 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 i so kindergarten was pretty cool i remember liking story time a lot my teacher read a lot and in christian school they read to you a lot there was like i remember there being pretty good books like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the the Wrinkle in Time, like all those books, you know. I guess they had Christian overtones or something. But I remember discovering about church, like everybody singing and stuff. But I I remember always thinking, like the stuff that Jesus said, like would stick out, you know. And I'm like, there was th a few things that stuck with me from Christian school. I went to Christian school from kindergarten to f to like fourth grade. And the things that stuck out were like, these things and more you shall also do. So basically, I was like, yeah, Jesus is just a regular guy like me and you. Or, you know, regular person. And we can do those things too, right? We can heal each other. We can walk on water. We can, like, well, that's what I got from it. You know, we these things and more you shall also do. Right? The other thing I got from him, treat others as you would want to be treated that's great that fuck yeah you know but like when they would say have faith i'm like in what <laughs> they're like have faith my son or like anytime they just like expect you to believe in something and there's no answer like what the hell is the holy ghost i asked that and they're like just have faith i'm like but what is it can i can you tell me and then that like i would read revelations and just be like what the hell is that because you read revelations as a child and you're like there's this multi-headed beast with a bunch of eyes and the, and what the hell is going on <laughs> it like throws you for a loop you know and i remember that's the thing that stuck out the most was that image of the beast and all of oh the heads and the eyes and the, everything all that right that stuck with me it like was really like left an imprint so then my parents were going through a divorce. I acted out one day. I was like, teacher, can I go to the bathroom? 
I didn't have to go. I just wanted to get out of the class. And I was in third grade, I think. And so I went to the bathroom, and I went in the bathroom, and there was a kid who looked just like me, but he was in kindergarten. And I didn't, I don't remember thinking anything. I just remember walking up to him and punching him in the stomach. And I, was, and I like immediately felt bad. I was like, oh, shit. And then I ran off. And I was like, oh, fuck, what did I do? You know? And I ran back to my class. And I sat there. And I sat there. And I sat there. And I felt guilty. I must have had guilt written all over my face. And then uh, I forgot. Somebody came in and was like, and they all looked at me and I'm like oh shit I'm in trouble <laughs> you know I knocked the wind out of this kid so, oh. so Christian school what do they do they send you to the principal's office so there I am you punch this kid <laughs> you know I'm guilty right and so he's like alright bend over and he pulls this paddle off the wall with these holes in it and hits me like twice. My ass stung for so I could barely sit down. It stung that whole evening into the next day. My ass hurt so bad. I remember like I I I, I and I could talk. I'm sorry. I, you know I was like talking like that. And they made and he's like, all right, now pray. He hits you and then tells you to pray to God and tell God what you did wrong or whatever ask for forgiveness I don't fucking remember and then they sent me on my way back to class for the rest of the day and I all it's tears humiliation you know from the rest of the class humiliation tears running down my face barely able to sit in the desk just like uh, 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 uh. I get home and my mom doesn't even know years later she told me she didn't even know when I told her they hit me she was like what they weren't supposed to hit you I signed a thing saying that they were not supposed to hit you so I went back to that school I kept going to that school without my mom even knowing they hit me <laughs> and then and then my mom was a barber, so she gave me some crazy haircut one day, right? She was like, oh, let's spike your hair up. It'll be fun. And I go to school, and I immediately get sent to the principal's office. And there he is, with his eyes wide open, shaking his head. Can't have that haircut here in this school. Never went back to that school. I remember one time my stepdad came and picked me up in his Fiat and I was like the coolest kid in school with my spiked hair and my stepdad with his tattoos of unicorn and he's like this little Fiat that was all primered. <laughs> he's all Rawr. and I was, we like sped off. I was like I'm cool. <laughs> Never went back. It was the last time I left that school. My mom must have been like, go pick him up or something. I don't know. <laughs> so fast forward, I go to I end up going to public school, this this other school in a town over, actually right down the street 
from the place I had that vision when I was a kid. And uh, I really liked this school, and it, and I remember a, a lot more from this school. And it was uh, it's called Sorensen, but I remember the layout more than anything. The way the school looked, and it was right next to a park, and there was like a a library in the park. This lit this little tiny library in the park. Oh man, so cool. There's such a vivid memory that whole park. I remember all the playground and everything. I remember everything I ever did in that park. I remember even dreaming about that park. So this was like the very first park I I really connected with. And then I found like this robot in the bushes there. It was like a it was like a cheap uh, knockoff Mexican robot that was like supposed to be like Transformers, but it was just like a knockoff, right? And I called it King Moco Moco. My mom, I took it home and washed it off. My mom was like, yeah, you can keep it. And I was like, yes. But then I don't know what happened to that thing. It was my favorite thing forever. But then I went to that school and it was public school. And, it, you know, like we learned there was like school pageants where you sing. And there's like Christmas songs. And, and they fucking showed us poltergeist in class. I remember like we... We're good and we earned a pizza party and we got to watch the movie Poltergeist, the second one, in class. You know, what the fuck? The same year we watched the, you know, Challenger blow up together. That's cool. I remember that day. I'll never forget that day. Whew, man, they just sent us home. I remember the teacher was like, I'm like, shut it off. <laughs> And then they just sent us all home. And I remember all the kids just this feeling of walking home being like, what? What just happened? What did that just happen? Yeah, that was a fucking crazy. I was like, four, fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade when that happened. And so I uh, ended up walking to this house where I had the vision right after that Challenger thing. That's like where we would go after school and wait for my mom to pick us up. And, um, and I'll never forget that neighborhood. I trick-or-treated in that neighborhood a bunch. Uh, man, so many memories in that neighborhood. And then uh, the ice cream man. I would chase the ice cream man and buy uh, garbage pail kids. That was the garbage pail kid phase of my life. Oh, man. I had so many of those. And I always had the, the puzzles on the back. You try to put together all the cards and make like the one picture. Like one big card. It took like eight or something. Anyways, there was that and Mad Magazines. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, and then we, at that time, we lived in the house behind my grandparents. And my stepdad was already around. And then I, I turned seven or eight and we moved out of there. So that was like East LA. And we moved out. We just got out of LA. It was too violent and too, too expensive. And actually, it wasn't that expensive. We just didn't want to live behind my grandparents, I guess. So then we we moved out to suburbia, new suburbia. It was called Cucamonga. It wasn't Rancho Cucamonga yet. So there was these three little towns. There was Cucamonga, Altaloma, and Rialto, and Etiwanda. Wait, not Rialto was firmer, further. There was Etiwanda, Cucamonga, Altaloma, and the school was in Altaloma, and we all went there. But I grew up in Rancho Cucamonga, and it was like suburbia, safe suburbia up against the mountains sagebrush everywhere orange groves and avocados and wineries oh my god it's fucking amazing 
so they were like plowing up all those field these fields and all these wineries to put subdivisions in and so like in between all those subdivisions and houses there'd be like empty lots full of oranges or avocados and nobody harvesting them so like everywhere around me was like free oranges and free avocados it was fucking great to grow up there uh, amazing and there was still a roller rink and it was like you know you could be out at night and walk around and it was totally safe it was just like safe suburbia you know the 80s in fucking rancho cucamonga and then you know ice cream man and all that just going to the roller rink all the time and fucking dances at the school dances would be at the roller rink like it was just you know small town but like pretty big you know like 50,000 people there or something but the towns in southern california are all connected so it's like one giant town it's not like there's space between towns or anything uh, but we were right up against the mountains, so you can go to the edge of town, and there was like mountains. You can go up all these canyons and up to the peak, and it's like you can get lost in there. And, and it was before like Southern California was super regulated, and you had to get a permit to go anywhere. You could just like wander up in a canyon and get high and sit in a cave and shit. So, speaking of sitting in a cave, fast forward to when I was 14. No, oh no, let's go stay in junior high. So I was in junior high, and I. I found my friend Jeff and Beef. They were like my best friends in junior high, I think. Jeff and Beef and Brian. And we all, Beef's name was Dan, and we all were like in the same neighborhood, kind of. Brian was on the other side of town, but we all went to the same middle school, and we were like, <coughs> Beef was a hippie, Brian was really short, and Jeff was kind of like cool, but they were Mormon. And uh, Dan, Beef was not Mormon. He was like super hippie. His parents were hippies. His sister was a hippie. He'd been at dead shows when he was a child. You know, like he was just a hippie kid. Always had tie dyes and shit. And then uh, I was like, they called me Styles. Because I, because I was just, I was stylish. I always had like Z Ricci's or some shit, you know, like <laughs> I was in like stylish clothes until I got to high school. I was like, fuck that. Fuck that shit fuck brands fuck all that i'm gonna be like macgyver and wear white shirts and jeans i was all macgyver super macgyver fan anyways i was like no labels i don't want anything with a label on it <laughs> thanks for following and so uh so like okay so high school i was all in the drama club me and my friend jeff would like act out things all the time i loved improvising that was like super fun i this is before i even found like art or music or anything i just love drama and it was like drama club and all that. Oh, so much fun. We did like talent shows and lip syncs and all that stuff. And then I got out of high, I got into high school and it was like a whole different story. I still had those same friends, but they all f kind of broke off and got other friends and stuff. And those three friends stayed with me pretty strong my whole high school and everything. But high school was like kind of, it seemed quick, you know. I was so anti establishment i didn't go to any dances i didn't go to one dance all high school not one i didn't go one dance one prom one nothing nothing i didn't want anything to do with any sports i didn't want anything to do with any after school anything like i just wanted to get the fuck out of there as soon as i could and so like i remember when i was a freshman i was like it seemed to be more about like trying to make friends and then when i was a junior it was like you know I think I discovered art and I was like, ooh, I really like art. Fuck yeah. And I took a bunch of art classes and I was like, 
in, at the time you could totally draw PE and just take art. It was like one or the other. <laughs> and then the other thing was you could take math or you could take a, a language. I was like, I'll take a language and take basic math. Like, I don't know how I graduated high school. They basically just moved me along. There was like thousands of kids there. They were just like, move along. I was like cattle. Like I literally passed with D's. Like, I don't even know how. So like when I was in high school and like when I, what's right before senior, junior, wait, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, junior was when I started taking drugs. And I met a bunch of people. All my friends started taking drugs. And I knew this one guy, Larry, and he smoked me out. And it was all over from there. I loved weed. Oh, the weed was so good. But at the time, I was like 14. And I did everything. I didn't. Like, my friend's dad was a botanist. And he told us that there was this thing called Jimson weed growing in the fucking fields by our house. And he's like, oh, yeah, the Indians used to use that as a hallucinogenic. And what do we do? Go dig it up. I took a fucking bunch of Dottura and Jimson weed, and that fucked me up for permanently. <laughs> and that was the first thing I did. And then I took acid, and then I did, but I was smoked weed first, and then I took all the other drugs, and then I found the Grateful Dead, and then we went to Grateful Dead shows and took all the drugs. And so for like, from when I was 14 to when I was like 18, I took all the drugs, except like, Powders. I wasn't really into. I took like meth for like a week, and I was like, "Ugh, fuck that." I looked in the mirror and looked like a skeleton. And I was like, "No, mm-mm, I'm good." Uh, I don't really like, like, I was saying this the other day. I don't really like uppers that like take me too high. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be high on uppers. I want uppers to keep me up. You know what I mean? I don't want to be like, oh my. God, I'm rolling. You know, like, uh, <laughs> I like, if I take Kratom, I just take the, like, least amount just to work. You know, like, if I'm drinking coffee, I'm, like, drinking it to sustain my, like, energy. You know, I'm not trying to, like, get high from it. I don't want to get high from uppers. I just wanted to use it. You know what I mean? Like, but, so, like, whenever I take uppers or have in the past, it's just like, oh, yeah, this is too good. I can't. I'll, I could easily get addicted to this, you know. I'll just take a little bit. So I just, I'm good. <laughs> Every once in a while, you got to do something, right? When you're around other people. Stuff. It's drugs. So then my girlfriend cheated on me while I was high. And I was, and I never took acid again for like 10 years. I was like, fuck that. Like while I was on acid. It was at a, like a desert party. And I was like traumatized from it. Fucked me up. And so I didn't touch LSD because I felt like it was just the same thing over and over and over and over. And I could never get mushrooms. So I never, I think I did those. I, I did those like a few times, but one time I ate a half ounce of mushrooms and that just fucked me up. I, that messed me up for a while. I was done with it after that. I was like, I'm good. That was a trip. So dead shows. I was like, I'm going to go on tour. I'm going to go on tour. So then I graduated high school. I was like, I'm going to go on tour. And then Jerry died. I was like, I guess I'm not going to go on tour. But I still had that, like, want to go. I, like, wanted to travel. I wanted to get the fuck out of my town. So I had a girlfriend at the time, just got out of high school. Her parents didn't like the fact that she was dating me. And so they kicked her out. And so she moved in with me. And she was going to school, and I was working at the college. And we lived near the college. And one day... I was at work and she was on her lunch break and we were hanging out in the courtyard there and they had this like 
you know, this like job fair thing going on. And there was this one table where they had these little tents and there's like, come work in Yosemite and you can live in these tents and, and then we'll feed you and house you and you save money and then go back to school in the, in the fall. And I'm like, I want to do that. I want to work in it. And she was like, let's do it. And you had to go get a drug test. So we, so we went and got, we went to the head shop and we got these like drinks and we drank them and we took our drug tests and we both passed and we're like, it's fate. Let's go. And so my, my parents drove us there and dropped us off in Yosemite. And then, uh, we spent like a year there <laughs> and that was in 1996, I think. Yeah, 96 to 97. And man, that was, I could do a whole thing about that year. That year was crazy. That, that was the year I discovered people. Like I met people from all over the country. I met people from Maine. I met people from the East Coast, like up and down the East Coast. I met people from Louisiana, a whole bunch of people from Louisiana. I met people from other countries that were traveling there. I met, I like got cultured living in Yosemite. And then I discovered rock climbing and I was just like, that was a whole thing, Whew, man, getting high off of climbing and shit. And then, uh, yeah, just being in the moment and like, just, oh man, that was so much fun. So many stories until like I almost died. And then I was like, I'm good on that. And then, uh, so then me and my ex broke up. She cheated on me again. And was, uh, she went back to Rancho and then like met another dude and had a family. She's got five kids. Um, but she's still there in the same house she grew up in, you know. Anyways, um, I kept going. I stayed working there. And then uh, in 97, 98, there was a huge flood that hit, hit Yosemite. It's the only time it's hit, like, in modern history. And people um, got evacuated. There was, so it was, like, the middle of winter. I think it was December. And it. It was snow there was snow in the back country and there was snow up high and there was snow on the ground <coughs> and it rained for like three days it was super warm i think it was el nino that year maybe it rained and it rained and it rained for three days and then trees started to fall and it like it looked like we were in a bowl that was being sunken in the water in like a sink like all this water was coming into Yosemite Valley like from every direction so there's like a million little ribbon waterfalls on the edge of the whole canyon just <laughs> rocks falling all this stuff people got evacuated the rivers rose there was like three sections we were sectioned off to that nobody could move nobody can get out of there and we, we basically got stuck and they get, all the people got evacuated and the employees were evacuated last after three days and like the, the rain let up and it started to get windy and that's when the trees started falling over because the ground was so saturated. Oh man, that was crazy. Me and a bunch of friends, we were all working there and we were like, you know, just like nothing to do. And it was raining a little bit, it was a little bit windy. And we're like, let's go walk to Mirror Lake to see what the damage is, right? Because it was kind of subsiding, but it was still windy. We got not even to the, barely to the road that goes up there and we all heard this tree fall none of us saw it like it was somewhere off over there and we were like oh shit and we all just like ran like as fast as we could back to where the camp was and we we're just like oh shit but uh like i remember this huge boulder hitting my friend's cabin like all kinds of shit happened that winter anyways we all got evacuated from the park 
And like 14 of us all moved into one house in uh, Sonora, just outside of the park. And the park was shut down for two months. And we all had unemployment, food stamps, 14 of us in a three-story house with this huge basement, a bar, and a ping-pong table. Oh, my God, it was so much fun. Uh, It was right next to the retired sheriff's house. He didn't care. It was totally cool. And we grew weed there. Oh, that was so much fun. It was like a party house. And the fridge was always full. It was just food for days. And then when the park opened back up, and the people that lived there were like chefs and like all these people from the park. So like it was just this great party and food all the time. Oh, so much fun. And then the park opened back up and people went back to work. And then there was like four people and they're like, we're keeping this house. You know, we're keeping this. This is a fucking awesome spot. We paid... Three fifty, three hundred and fifty dollars for a three-story fucking house with one, two, three, four, five, six rooms, a kitchen, a living room, and a huge deck. Just stupid. And all of us paying like I think it was more, maybe it was like four fifty. Stupid cheap. It was dumb. It was so dumb. It was the best deal ever. But then, you know, there was like no jobs, nothing to do around there. So we all kind of like went back to the park. I went back to the park. I worked for like three months and then I got fired. So after they re-upped people, a lot of people didn't come back. And the new manager of where I was working was like, came directly from a hospital. And I was, uh, she was like a manager of a hospital and I was uh, making beds. I was being a maid at the time. And they like saw me with my long hair and they're like we gotta get this guy out of here like they had an agenda against me they were like this is this guy's gotta go so so i um i what happened oh i i went into the linen closet to get some fucking pillowcases and the guys that were putting it in there were just careless and they were just throwing shit in there and it was all wrinkled and i was like fuck it it's clean but it was a little wrinkled and I put that on the fucking pillowcase. They went in, found a wrinkled pillowcase, and fired me for it. And it was like part of their policy. Like, if it was wrinkled, that if you fucked up the linen in any way, you were fired. And I grieved it, and it was like a union thing and everything. And they were like, nope, you gotta go. I was like, what the fuck? So I got fired from Yosemite. <laughs> but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I um, The whole time I was there, there was like a thing called a credit union. I was like, what's that? Credit union? And so they took money right out of every check. That I was like, well, I take 50 bucks out of it. I don't need it. And so after working there for a year, I just had all this money saved up. And I kind of forgot about it. And when I got fired, I got my last check. And then I got that. I was like, oh, I have money. I'm going to go do something. So the, the end of the season happened. I didn't leave the park. I just lived in my friend's houses. And I camped out in caves and shit for like the next year. And then my friend was going back to Maryland and I was like, ooh, Maryland. And he's like, yeah, I want to come. I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, let's go see the East Coast. So he had a car and we drove back and we saw all this stuff. We stopped and camped and, oh man, Moab. And, you know, we just went across the country and then got to Maryland and then we kept going. We went up to New York and Boston and visited a bunch of people that we met in Yosemite. And then we went back to Maryland and I lived there for like three months and it was this little town called Ellicott City, and I'd never ex- in my life experienced segregation the way it was in Maryland. Oh, I, like, it was the weirdest thing. I never, I come from California where there's like an equal amount of everybody, you know, it's just like a mix of all kinds of people. And 
<laughs> there was just white people in this town and I don't have a problem with white people. I like white people, you know, but like, I was like, where is every, where are all the people here? Like, where are they? I think that there was more like a mix of people, you know, and he's like, he didn't ever said anything about it. And there was like all these little antique shops and pizza places and everybody was just like Italian or something. I don't know. I don't even know. It wasn't even on my mind, right? I didn't think about it too much. And then one day, I... What are you doing? And then one day, my friend's like, Hey, man, I want to go eat at this place. Do you want to go eat at this place? I was like, yeah, that's good. What is it? He's like, oh, it's called the King's Buffet. I was like, what's that? I like buffets. He's like, dude, I've always wanted to go. We should go. And I think because like I was dark-skinned, I was like his ticket in or something. I'm like, well, okay. Like, I didn't think about it, right? And so he drives me. We go literally over the railroad tracks and like it's a whole different town i was like what the fuck is that what the fuck i think it was like columbia or something i don't remember where it was but we just like and then i was like where are we dude like ellicott city is like this cute little fucking antique town antique shops surrounded by like a pizza shop like it's just this nothing right and uh so we like go over and this is the sprawl of like suburbia or whatever and it's like culture right and i was like whoa whoa there are signs i can't read you know and then uh <laughs> and then like we go to king's buffet and we walk in there and there's not one white person in the place it's all black people and they're like smoking in there it's loud it's like a fucking nightclub in there i was like what the hell and it's just like a buffet place right <laughs> And I was like, I was like, what the hell? And, and the food was good, man. It was like, it was like, you know, Southern cooking or something. I don't even know. It was like, my friend just had this huge plate. He's like, I've always wanted to eat here. Oh my God. And he's just like, ah. he ate like three plates of food. And I was like, damn, dude, shit's good, huh? He's like, yeah. And I was like, his ticket in, you know, I didn't realize that until later. I was like, oh, I see. So, like, I slowly got tired of that little town real quick. And then uh, I think it was, like, Valentine's Day. It was February, right? It was Valentine's Day. I went downtown, and I took my flute, and I played flute downtown. It was the first time I, like, played on the street and for a long period of time. I played for, like, 10 hours. I played flute on the street on Valentine's Day. And I made $110 in quarters and dollar bills. And because for some reason that downtown was super busy, it was like everybody takes their wife down there to go shopping at like antique shops, but everybody and their grandmother was down there, right? And so, like, I made $110 and I called the fucking bus station in, in Baltimore and was like, How much for a bus ticket to back to California? And they were like, $110. And I was like, Yes, I'm going tomorrow. Like, I was so stoked. I'm like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. This is not for me. You know, Boston was cool. New York was all right, just dirty and smelled. And I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. And so uh, my friend took me to the bus station and it turned out like it was only $100. So I had $10 to spare. I was like, woohoo, I can eat. So three and a half days on a fucking bus with two layovers in St. Louis and uh, Armorillo, Texas. Man, St. Louis, as soon as I got off the bus, somebody tried to sell me crack. And in Amarillo, Texas, I was stranded there at two in the morning with like 
666 Mexicans. <laughs> and they're screaming children. <laughs> just like waiting for that bus and just like, it's hot. These people are loud and these kids are crying. What the fuck? And then you get on this packed ass bus with all these people. And you're like, where are all these people come from? The panhandle, the Texas there. And then, uh, and then you get on the bus and you, it seemed like every person that sat next to me just got out of jail on the fucking bus. That was a, that was a whole other story. And then finally get to California and I'm like, oh, fuck. And uh, what did I do? I don't even remember. Oh, I went to my grandmother's house. Oh, my God. That was she just ignored me and watched the news. And then uh, what did I do? I went. I think I visited my family for a minute. And then I ran into this guy, Jason. So my friend Jason is like big red beard. He lived in the house in Sonora. He was always a park bum when I worked in the park. He would like stay with me on my floor and stuff. He just like brought drugs and he was like the, the hippie kid that came and went all the time. Brought weed. <laughs> but uh, I knew him from Rancho. Like we were friends, but we were not really friends. He was like the guy at the party you would see, but never hung out with. So I was like, oh, hey, what's up, dude? He's like, hey, you want to go traveling? And I was like, yeah, where are you going? He's like, well, I got I applied for a job in Glacier National Park. And so he's, he was had a job, but not for like three months or something, four months. He's like, I just got to get there. I was like, oh, cool. I was, I was like, I want to go work in a park. I worked in Yosemite. I could probably do that. And so he... Uh, he was like, let's go hitchhike there. And my other friend was like, I'll drive you guys to Sonora. Or no, not Sonora, Sedona, <coughs> Arizona. I was like, hell yeah. <clears throat> that was like eight miles or eight hours from where we were at in Rancho. And so he's like, all right, I'll drive you guys there. So the next day he drove us all the way to, to Sedona. We stayed the night and then he went home and we we're like, sweet, we got here, you know? And then like, as soon as we got to fucking Sedona, we meet a ton of hippies just camping out and it was when you could still camp all around the town like all around the town like right outside of town but the hippies ruined that for everybody so you have to like be eight miles out of Sedona now something like that they put boulders up so uh so, so that's a whole story the rainbow gathering was there and that was like 1999 or eight the Rainbow Gathering was going to be in Arizona. So all these hippies were just waiting and hanging out in Sedona and like eating all the free food from the food banks and shit, you know, just like hanging out. And so um, and so we were there and my friend was like, let's not leave. Let's just hang out here because he didn't have to be there right away. So we stayed in Sedona for like a month and a half. And then finally, I remember the day we had to leave because that's a whole story. And actually, I made a podcast about that if you guys want to hear hitchhiking stories there's a bunch of stories in here but i'm just gonna fast forward over stuff so we hitchhiked up in colorado and then we hitchhiked up into wyoming and then over into utah and then up into like we had to do this big zigzag it was sub all this stuff happened <laughs> it was good it was fun we had so much fun Yay! and then uh and then i got to yellowstone or i got to we got to like Boise, I think it was. No, no, no. Where was it? It was um, Montana. It was like Gardner or something in Mo somewhere in Montana. 
We had to go up and around through Idaho and then get into Montana. And then there's like this town. I can't think of the name of it. Bozeman, Montana? Maybe that's it. I, anyways, we were in this town and we ate at this restaurant. And the bus led us off there. And we finally got, the, we, we took a bus, a bunch of the end part. And we finally got to there. And my friend's like, all right, I'm going north to go to Glacier. And I was like, well, I want to go to Yellowstone to see if I can work there. Because, I don't know, something told me to go to Yellowstone, right? Uh, a couple months before that, I had this crazy dream, too. That's in the hitchhiking story thing. And then that ends up coming true. But then I worked in Yellowstone. I met a whole bunch of fucking amazing people. I got the job, like, amazingly, like, by chance on the day that all these other people showed up for a job. Oh, man, it was just like coincidental like coincidental synchronicity like it all just was meant to happen and then uh i quit after three months because i I met this guy who played piano there who was buying a restaurant in colorado and he's like come work with me in this restaurant in colorado i was like sweet i'm gonna quit my job i'm gonna hitchhike to oregon and go to the oregon country fair and then i'll meet you in yosemite in a month and he's like sweet i'll do that i'll pick you up in yosemite we'll go to colorado and we'll run this restaurant and i was like sweet so that was all like just the plan it was unfolded but the whole time i'm just like let's just see what happens let's see where this takes me like anything's anything's possible let's just see what happens and you meet people you go you like say yes to stuff and you go places so then i got a whole bunch of other people to quit we all went to uh, the Oregon Country Fair. It was amazing. And these people's lives were all changed. There was a bunch of East Coasters, too. And then we all kind of went our own way. And then me and two other guys hitchhiked down to Arcata. We stayed the night there. And then in the morning, we all stood by the, the road and got a ride by this dude all the way to San Francisco. He let us stay at his house. His parents gave us money and fed us and put us on the bus and sent us to Yosemite. And so we like were on a bus and we're clean and fed and heading to Yosemite. Get to Yosemite. People take care of you when you hitchhike. It's great. And then we get to Yosemite and we hiked for like a week and a half together. And I showed them all kinds of cool stuff there in the backcountry. It was so much fun. Oh, I introduced them to stuff and they were like, oh man. And uh, they went back to the East Coast and then I I ran into my friend Jim. So the piano player, he came and he picked me up. He was true. And then I introduced him to all my friends and they all hit it off. And he's like, come out to Colorado and run a restaurant with me. So like half my friends ended up coming with us too. And we, we all went out to Colorado and we ran this restaurant into the ground <laughs> for a year. And then he sold it and it was fun. And that's a whole story. That was a whole side thing. And that was, that was a lot of fun. And that was like in... 99 2000 and then i kind of burnt out on that place and then moved back to california uh i went to the park i was like i'm going to yosemite i gotta go i think i visited my family for a while lake isabella then i went and i went back to yosemite and i was like oh i love it here and i couldn't get a job there but all my friends were working there and so i kind of just like slept on their floors and slept in caves and bouldered and climbed and then I started to do little paintings on uh, watercolor and stuff just little things right and then to make money and then my my friend uh, introduced me to this girl I met this girl we kind of fell in love and then I got trapped for like 10 years but she worked in the park and then she stopped working in the park then we lived right outside of the park in a little town called Levining next to Mono Lake and then 
I spent like 10 and a half years at Mono Lake, just living all over the basin and living camping and living in a trailer. I didn't pay rent for like five years. That was kind of cool. And uh, she ended up just, she was real gung ho to do stuff at first. And then we went to festivals and stuff together. We went and did, we did it. We had a lot of fun, but then towards the end of our relationship, she kind of just fell into a rut and didn't want to do anything, drank a lot. And so I, I was like, me or alcohol? And then she chose alcohol. So but then her life took a whole other turn for another direction after we broke up. And I was like, I want to do stuff again. You know, because when you're in a relationship for 10 years, you tend to put like all these things that you like on the shelf that you're like, oh, she doesn't like that. She doesn't like that. I just won't do that. And so I took all those things down and I was like, yes. And I went, I traveled. I went to 200 festivals and I painted at festivals and I, I met all these bands and all these people. I met like literally like a thousand people and I started hanging. I had like a thousand new friends and I moved to Placerville and oh, we, at the end of our relationship, we were living in Lake Tahoe and then we broke up and then there's this curse of Lake Tahoe too. Like it either makes you or breaks you. A lot of people move there and end up breaking up and then so it's weird. And then, so I moved to Placerville and then I moved to, uh, uh, Sacramento area and then I moved to Oregon and and then uh, with another girlfriend for like two years and then she moved on and then I've been in Oregon and then like the border of California and Oregon since then and I've been up here since like for like five years now so after I did those 200 festivals I went to Oregon and was like I'm going up there but like the whole time just not really like too worried like I came all the way back around to my hitchhiking days like you know like they happened again and that's one thing I always notice is there's cycles right you might stop doing something that you're interested in but like 10 years later you're gonna pick it back up again <laughs> that happened with art that happened with music that happened that happened with like everything so much stuff all right so that's part of my life maybe I'll go into some more details later I hope you enjoyed that portion of my life if you have any questions, you want to know more, let me know. <laughs> Leave me a comment or something. I'll be right back. I'm going to go get some liquids. <laughs>